It's good to see you on this slightly cold morning. Looking forward to this time together in the month of January, we're going to be doing a series on Christian community, a series we've entitled Community Matters. And uh, we're going to spend five weeks, all of January and the first week of February in this, and then we're going to get back to the book of Romans uh, shortly in February, Lord willing. Uh, But I'm looking forward to our time together in God's Word in this series and praying for much fruit from it. Uh, If you will, you can take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26 today. 1 Corinthians 12. 12 through 26. And as you find your way there, let's ask for the Lord's grace and for his help. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is true. We thank you, Lord, that you sanctify us by it, that you make us wiser that you correct us, that you encourage us and stir us up. Father, that you reveal yourself to us, your plans, your will. So Lord, now as we look into these particular verses today, we would ask that you would give us grace. You would help us to see, to hear, to respond and to live in such a way that magnifies you. We thank you, Father, for the privilege we have to open your word together this morning. Would you now instruct us in it? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, have you ever wondered if you've joined the right church? You ever wondered that? Maybe in times past, maybe in times present. Maybe you're still looking for a church. What is it that you look for? Sometimes people are afraid of joining the wrong church. They don't want to commit too quickly. Maybe churches in the past or maybe now even in the present haven't met your expectations. You found it difficult to connect. You found it difficult to follow. The worship music is just not quite your taste. What do we do in a world where there's no perfect church? In his book entitled Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community, Brett McCracken said the following, what we think we want from a church is almost never what we need. God's idea of church is far more glorious than any dream church we can conjure. What do we do in a world where there's no perfect church? The words of the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon give us some wise counsel here. He says this, or said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope 
that you almost feel glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment that I did join it, if I had found one, I would have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Over the next five weeks, we're going to consider the importance of the church, specifically through the lens of biblical community. Brothers and sisters, we know this is kind of cliche to say this, but it's true. The church is more than a place. It's ultimately a people. And we need to know how we are called to live as God's people in relationship to him and relationship to one another. If what Spurgeon said is true, if the church is the dearest place on earth, then it must mean that the people that comprise the church are some of the dearest people on earth to us. So my prayer for this morning is that as we consider God's word, that that God's word would shape our understanding of what the church ought to be, not our particular preferences. So as we consider that together, let's hear from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and following. This is what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it less, any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which is our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 12, we see many things, and we see many helpful things considering when we consider the body of Christ. And I want us to, to, to walk through this passage today, and I want us to see at least three important aspects about the body of Christ that goes long and far to help shape our understanding of the church and our commitment to it. 
three important aspects of the body of Christ that help shape our understanding of the church and our commitment to one another. So there's three simple points, but much in, 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 in between those points. We're gonna see the oneness of the body. We're gonna look at the members of the body and the life of the body. Those are the kind of points where we're gonna hang our hats this morning. The oneness of the body, the members of the body, the life of the body. Let's begin with the oneness of the body. You pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, if you, if you consider the whole context of 1 Corinthians, we know that Paul's writing to a church that was not perfect. He's writing to quite a mess, actually. He's writing to people that were at odds with each other. He's writing to a very difficult situation. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has just taught them about the importance of spiritual gifts and the variety of spiritual gifts God gives to his people. He's gifted his people in various ways. You see that in verses four through 11. And he's helped them to understand that everyone has a particular role and everyone has a particular place within the body. Yet even though there are a variety of gifts within the church, in no way does that undermine the unity of the body. In fact, it actually gives, gives strength to the unity of the body. In fact, what you're gonna see here about unity is that it's a big theme throughout this chapter. In just two verses, verses 12 and 13, we see the word one mentioned five times. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, for in one spirit, into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So you see the, the emphasis of unity here and oneness. Christian unity is a oneness that is built from the gospel and around the gospel. Notice, notice also that, that Paul uses this idea of a body to refer to the church. And when you think about the human body, it's an amazingly complex creation and yet unified. All your different pieces and parts serve to make a unified whole. You can't chop off an arm and the arm become a separate body. All of, the, all of the things that God has given you in the human body, they work together for a common purpose. And so it is with the church. This is why God inspires Paul here to use body as a metaphor, as an image to help people understand the life of the church. Church is a body comprised of various parts, but all contributing to a unified whole. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were brought into the body of Christ the same way. By the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, you were baptized. Here, here we have a reference to what what sometimes is called spirit baptism. Now, some wrongly think that this is a type of second blessing after one comes to Christ, but that's not true. It's just another way that Paul refers to salvation. All the members, verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized, brought into, brought underneath the gospel and into the, into the body of Christ. Jews are Greek, slaves are free. 
All were made to drink of one spirit. You see here this, this language that Paul is using to simply refer to salvation. Simply put, we are all saved by the same God into the same body by the same gospel and given the same Holy Spirit. There's a lot of sameness here. Oneness. No matter who you are, if you're a Christian, Yes, the circumstances of your testimony may be different, but listen, you came to Christ by the same God, through the same gospel, into the same body, by the same spirit. We're all saved this way. And yet look at the amazing beauty of how diverse this body is. Notice what he says in verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Notice the diversity there of the body. You, you can't have any more significant difference than that. Think about just the, the difference between Jews and Gentiles. Enemies, they hated each other. Slaves and those who were free, they, they, they weren't friends. And yet what the gospel does is it brings these very different people, sometimes people who hate each other, into the same fold. Paul's point here is simply that the gospel is so powerful that it can bring groups of people that are radically opposed to each other and make them one. Again, to quote that book, Uncomfortable, Brett McCracken said, when the rest of the world can't seem to agree on anything or bear to be around people who are different, a church where natural enemies become siblings in Christ is a powerful alternative. Well said. Natural enemies becoming siblings. This is what Jesus does. He, he brings people from all kinds of backgrounds and, and experiences and places them by the same gospel into the same body. Friends, when you consider the people of any local church, when you consider the people of this local church, we are a people who have been united together by Christ. Yes, we have different backgrounds. We have different perspectives. We have different experiences. We are at different life stages, and yet we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. Whenever you think about that, that's amazing. When you think about this local community of believers here known as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, know that it only exists because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is what unifies us. That's what brings us together. Not a particular program, not a particular mission strategy, not a particular ministry or a particular music preference or a particular race or a particular financial status. It is the gospel that brings us together. The oneness of the body, that is essential for us to see and understand before we move on. God brings us into that family together. So you see the unity on display in verses 12 and 13. But we know Paul has more to say. He's, he's talking about the unity of the body, how all of us are brought into the same body together in the same way, different though we may be. But then he begins to talk about the individual members. So he kind of talks about the body of Christ, and now he kind of hones in a little bit and talks about the individual members of it. So let's move now to the second point, then talk about the members of the body. See that in verses 14 through 20 and really on 
past that, but I want us to focus here in verses 14 through 20 for a moment. As Paul begins to look at the various parts of the body, he really helps us to see several important observations about the individual members. Notice he says, for the body does not, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Let's let's notice several important observations about what he has to say moving forward. First of all, about the individual members of the body, number one, each member has an equal place in the body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, using some very vivid imagery here, Paul stresses the value of all members. Notice he says, verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Same is true if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. His point there is to simply say that all the pieces and parts of the body have equal value. What he is doing is he is reassuring some of those who may have felt like they're more of an outsider or fulfill some lesser role in the church. And so they're not feeling as important or as much part of the body as someone else. Now he's saying, listen, every piece matters. Every piece of the body is equally important. All of the parts of the body, all the parts of the body matter regardless of function or role. Now, we're going, to, we can, we're going to see in the next point that there are different functions and different responsibilities that people have within the body of Christ. But listen, the point here is simply to say there is no unimportant member. No one should be invisible in the body of Christ. And yet, there almost always are those who are. This is a checkpoint for us. This is a checkpoint for any, any, any Christian in any local church is to simply be reminded that all the pieces and parts of the body are important. They have an equal place. They have a, uh, they, they, they're, they're made by the, in the, the image of God and they're called to be part of this body. Whether young or old, rich or poor, married or single, white or black, And on and on we can go. No one should be invisible in the body of Christ. And yet we know that we live in a world where there's no perfect church. Friends, one of the things that this does is it's meant to encourage you. If you're one of those that may feel like the foot or the ear, you feel less important, let The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, reassure you and encourage you that you are no less part of the body of Christ than any other. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. Perhaps you may feel overlooked or not as knowledgeable or simply restricted in what you can do. Various reasons. Friends, you need to know that no matter who you are, you matter to this local body. You matter to the Lord. You are important part and piece of this local church. Listen, 
There is no class of Christians here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. You, you may feel like that sometimes. There's no class. Yes, there's a variety of gifts and roles, but all of us are equal pieces and parts. One of the things that I've been challenged in over the past few years is to think about the body of Christ in terms of majority culture and minority culture. And that can be on a range of different categories. So one of the things that when I look at our church, Majority culture, we could, we could define that in various ways. White, middle-aged families. That's pretty much the majority culture here. And so if you fit in one of those categories or all of those categories, you're in the majority culture of this particular local church. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. You shouldn't feel bad because you happen to fit in one of those categories. That's how God made you. That's who you are. But, listen, the minority culture always has to play by the majority culture's rules, it seems. So that means that those of us who are in the majority culture need to be intentionally humble and listen to and pursue those who may be more in the minority culture. Listen, majority culture people don't think about their culture. You just go about your way. You just assume that that's how life goes and that's who most of the people around you are. But listen, minority culture people always think about their culture. If you're a single in this church, I've heard it from our singles. One of the most uncomfortable pieces, uh, one of the most uncomfortable parts of their week is right now. Where are they gonna sit? Who are they gonna sit with? I don't mean for all you married people all of a sudden to feel guilty that you're married. You shouldn't. But just, I mean, married people, have you thought about that? Have you thought about the singles in your midst? About encouraging them to come alongside and making sure that they feel warmed and welcomed here at Redeeming Grace? It's an example. Older, we're a pretty middle-aged congregation, younger to middle-aged. Younger middle-aged people, when's the last time that you have intentionally sought out a relationship with someone who is older? Pursued them. We could say the same thing for racial issues. Considering from a majority culture perspective, we don't think about culture, but minority culture people always think about it. That's one of the ways that we as a church can be better at community is understanding that all of us have an equal place in the body and no one should be invisible. Some of you feel invisible. I recognize that. I recognize it. Listen, I'm, I'm exhorting all of us, even myself here, to recognize there, are, there should be no invisible people in this church and we should all be pursuing one another, knowing that every person, every piece, every part of the body matters. Each member has an equal place in the body, number two. Each member has a unique function in the body. Look at Paul's question down in verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Kind of a rhetorical question. I mean, if everybody was an arm, where would we be? We, would, we wouldn't be a body. We would be an arm, right? If everybody was, was a foot, we'd all be, have a bunch of feet here, but we wouldn't have a body. His point here is to simply state that each piece of the body matters not only because of their inherent value, but also because of their unique purpose. 
Look again at verse 17 at the logic Paul employs here. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Then he asked that question. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Because we need all the body parts put together if there's going to be a body. Just this past week, one of these mornings, I woke up to realize that when I walked downstairs that my gas furnace had quit working during the night. You know how it is, you come downstairs and you're like, something's, something's not right, it's a little cool in here. So I initially took a stab at it and quickly displayed my ignorance, realizing I needed to call an expert. And after a service call to a repairman, he quickly figured out that it was only the intake vent going out of the house that had frozen over thus causing the furnace not to work. Simply took the little bird screen out that had frozen over from the condensation and boom, back in business. $85 later, it is back in business. You know how that goes. But listen, I mean, I was thinking, how in the world could a simple piece of PVC pipe, seemingly unimportant from my perspective, hinder the entire thing? I mean, I was thinking it had to be something major, like with the pilot light or gas valve, simply not getting the air pressure it needed to make all of those parts work. Every piece of that system matters. And so does every member of a local church. Listen, you may feel like a vent or a piece of PVC pipe. You may very well be one. Listen, the igniter and the gas valve are useless without you. You're very much needed. God has equipped and gifted you. Every piece matters if the body is going to work properly. Friend, we need to hear this because I'm afraid that in general, People's view of the church today is way off the mark. For way too many people, the local church is simply simply something you go to. But that's not accurate. The church is not something you go to. The church is something you belong to. The church is not some other weekend event that you attend when convenient, but it's a community of Christ followers you commit to. And listen, a lot of people desire a church where they can simply attend to feel better about themselves and to make God proud of them that they attended. But listen, we don't want to be that. We don't want, as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, we don't want to simply be another event you attend. We want to be a community of Christ followers that covenant together for purposes beyond, well beyond our individual aspirations. And part of that means understanding your unique place within this body and contributing in such a way so as to advance the Lord's purposes. So we need you. 
We need you to be part of this body. We need you to be active. We need hands and feet and feet and eyes and ears and wrists and ankles and knees. We need all of those. Every member has a unique function in the body. And number three, each member has been assigned to the body. This is huge. This is huge. If, I were, if, if you're a member of this church and I were to ask you why you became a member here, just think about in your own mind what your answer would be. Got it? All right, good. What would your answer be? Why did you become a member here of Redeeming Grace? Well, there are many reasons, humanly speaking, that we could give to that. Whatever your answer is. You're under 18, mom and dad drugged me here, right? Just many human reasons. But listen, if you're a member of this church, everyone that is part of this local body is ultimately here because God put you here. God put you here. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of in the body, each one of them as he chose. You are here today as a direct result of God's sovereign design and purpose in your life and in the life of this local church. God arranged the members of the body. Verse 24, God has so composed the body. Notice again the emphasis on God's sovereign activity. Look around this room. Just look. Let it be awkward for a moment. Look around. God did this. God did this. Sure, you had your own reasons for initially coming here and staying, but ultimately, it's God's doing. It's kind of like salvation. There's this human responsibility aspect, but God sovereignly superintends that process. You're here today by sovereign design. Just think about 2008. Where were you in 2008? You think That's 10 years ago. Think about that for a minute. 2008, where were you? A little survey here. How many of you lived in St. Mary's County in 2008? Raise your hand. How many, or put your hands down. How many of you did not live in St. Mary's County in 2008? Most of you. Listen, in 2008, I didn't even know Mary was a saint, much less that she had a county. <laughs> I, knew that the, I knew that there was this place called Maryland. But I had no idea of this area. Listen, 2008, there was no such thing as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. Look around. 10 years later, how did this happen? How did this happen? God did this. God worked. He arranged this. This was his sovereign doing. Friends, Christian community is not something we create. Christian community is something God creates. Yes, we have a responsibility and a stewardship to cultivate it and maintain it, but let's give credit where credit is due. God does the arranging. So, when you begin to think about the church from that perspective, some of our consumeristic tendencies begin to dissipate, don't they? When we think that God has gifted me and designed me and he's 
placed me within the body of Christ. No longer does the church become a place that I'm looking for to meet my perceived needs, but now it becomes a place where God puts me so that I can commit to this fellowship of Christians and use the gifts and and talents that God has so given me for the sake of this local body and for the glory of God and for the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Our personal preferences, they're still there. I have my own. But they begin to take a back seat. And our view of the body of Christ is now elevated and we see that this is a supernatural community of believers that God has joined together for his divine purposes. Each member has been assigned to the body. What about the life of the body? Let's consider this. We've seen the oneness of the body. We've seen the members of the body. Everybody's important. Everybody has a unique role. Everyone has been placed by God. What about life in the body? We're gonna be really talking about this rest of the series, but let me just kind of prime the pump a little bit here. See in verses 21 through 26, notice he continues with this imagery. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So Paul here, he moves on into this chapter and he continues with this body imagery showing the mutual relationship individual members have with one another. Couple of things that stick out here. Mutual dependence is one. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand and the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The local church is not comprised of a bunch of individual separated parts that have no need for each other. The church, the local church, is an example of God putting people together who have much need of each other. The reference here to the eye and the head, some say could be that Paul was using here uh, intentionally to point out that some in the church of Corinth had these hierarchical attitudes likely uh, in in the church there and the eye and the head being reflective of those with a a supposed higher status kind of view of themselves, Uh, maybe thinking of themselves of greater value than others. And, And Paul's point simply here is to say that is not the case. Again, there's no varying class of Christians in the church. And he goes on to press this on further by pointing out how those who appear weaker are indispensable. Notice Paul here doesn't call them weaker. He says, who seem to be weaker and those we think less honorable. He also mentions the parts of the body that that we think less honorable or the unpresentable parts. His point simply in all of this is to say that all of the parts of the body matter regardless of our evaluation of a particular part. God has so interwoven us together that we exist for the advantage of the whole body. And the church... This is where in our own individualistic Western minds, we get so confused. 
The church doesn't exist to serve you. Quit thinking that. The church is you so that you can come and serve. Yes, we're going to serve you in certain ways. The point is that God, you're part of a body of people that God put together to depend upon each other, to serve each other, to care for the gospel. All the parts of the body matter. The weaker need the strong and the strong need the weak. So there's mutual dependence, but there's also mutual concern. These are really kind of a little different, but sort of the same. Paul says that we we're put together so that there would be no division. So the stronger and the weaker, the perceived weaker, the stronger, and, and those that, just, just the different variety of, of, of pieces and people in the, in the body of Christ are put together so there would be no division. It, it maintains the unity that God has established. And, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. His point simply is to say that the church should not be marked by division, but by care and concern for each other care and concern. Again, ideally, no one in the church should be neglected. I know we can give examples of how that's happened, how that's even happened here. His point simply is to say that we should have the same care for one each other, that no one should be neglected. Care and concern for each other ought to be the hallmark of the local church. This means that we have a responsibility to pursue each other. And if you just come here and attend and leave and you're not pursuing others, you're missing and a significant part of what the Christian life was ordained by God to be. This responsibility necess necessitates relationship. But listen, relationships do not happen apart from commitment and that requires investment and time. In a book called The Compelling Community, on how church membership fosters commitment. This is what the author wrote. Your commitment to other Christians doesn't stem from feelings of attachment or comfort or belonging, though I hope those feelings follow. Instead, it's a commitment you make because doing so is part of following Jesus. Being members of the same local church automatically makes us responsible for each other. You don't wait until you feel a sense of compatibility or comfort to commit to Christian community. Christian community is not built around compatibility. It's built around covenants. Just like a marriage. If you build a marriage on compatibility and comfort, what happens when you don't feel those feelings of comfort and compatibility anymore? Well, you do what everybody else does. You just bail on the marriage. No, marriage is built on covenant. You're committing to this partner for a lifetime, no matter how hard it gets. Same in the local church. It's built on covenant, not comfort, not compatibility. Although I think those things can be helpful from time to time, but that's not where you begin. You begin with who am I and I'm committing. Just like marriage being covenantal, so is our commitment to fellow believers in the local church. Friends, in our church covenant, we make the following promises to one another. This is an excerpt from the church covenant. This is what it says. This is the, the, if you're a member of this church, these are the promises you've made to, to 
other people in this church. We will walk together in Christian love, exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves or others. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 12, doesn't it? Listen, the gospel, the gospel does not, the gospel does not produce mere acquaintances. The gospel produces eternal siblings that exist together now and forever and who are responsible to love one another. Jesus said that that would be the mark in which the world would know you, how you love one another, how you care for one another. This is not a place where you just come to have mere acquaintance. This is a place where you meet siblings who you will be with forever. Friends, how are you doing in showing this mutual concern for other believers in this local church? What commitments do you need to make in order to be more faithful this year in fulfilling the responsibilities that you as a member of this local church have to other members of this local church? Maybe you're here and you're not a member of this local church. Maybe you're looking to become a member of this local. We would just encourage you, hey, this is a great place to join ranks, to, to, to understand who you are as made in the image of God and saved and, and brought into a fellowship of believers where you can commit to these imperfect people, saved by grace, counted righteous in Christ, being made more and more into the image of Christ every day. This is a place where you can come and be part of the work that God is doing to make us more holy. We're to have mutual care and concern for one another. So what do we do? What do we do with all this? As we take, what do we take away? Let me just give you four quick actions. One, consider your need to belong to the body of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. So all of this talk so far has been assuming that you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you would say, not yet made that commitment. And we would just urge you that that's step one. Understand that you are created in the image of God and yet made in the image of God, we all rebelled against our creator. We thought our way was better and so we rebelled against God. We, we chose the way of sin and we are all marked by sin thus separating us from God. And yet God so loved us that he sent his son into the world to redeem us, to rescue us, to, to be the, the, the sufficient substitute for our sin. So Jesus comes into the world, he lives a perfect life, lives we should have lived, but we didn't. And yet he's crucified on a cross so that whoever would believe in him Trusting in his work would have their sins forgiven and would be brought into the body of Christ. And the simple call to you today would be to trust in him. Believe in Jesus Christ, put your hope and faith in him and be part of the body of Christ if you're not already. Number two, be thankful for the body of Christ. Let's find ourselves growing in gratitude for the church. There's plenty to criticize. I can give you a list of flaws we have. 
I can, give you, I can give you my list. I can listen to your list. We have plenty of those. But listen, we should be growing in thankfulness for the body of Christ that God has arranged, that God is constructing. One of the blessings when people leave our church, when I mean leave, they're moving. We've had this happen so much lately. We've had many conversations, people leaving the area, transient community, people come in, people go. And I'm not, I don't make this up just to make it sound good in the sermon. This is true. One of the regular things I hear from people when I'm talking to them in one of our last conversations before they leave, they will tell me time and time again, Adam, one of the things that we hate about leaving St. Mary's County is not St. Mary's County, it's leaving this church. It's leaving this church. We're gonna miss the people here. I hear that time and time again. It's not always the case that I hear that. And maybe there are plenty of people who haven't felt that way, but there are plenty who do. Let's be thankful for what God has done here and what he's doing. Number three, commit to a local body of believers. Maybe you're here looking for a church today. Friend, find one and stick with it. The whole idea of church hopping is not biblical. Maybe you found yourself in that pattern lately. We're not trying to condemn you. We're just saying, hey, find one and stick with it. Stay the course. If you're looking for a church, we would love to talk with you about what that would look like here. Love to talk with you about that. There are other fine churches in this community. We pray for them regularly. We're grateful to partner with them like we're going to do in February, be partnering with Leonardtown in April for another uh, seminar that we're gonna be doing. We love partnering with other churches. There are great churches in this community that preach the Bible. Go find one if, you, if this isn't the one. You're new to this area and you're just kind of looking around. Find one though and stick with it. Commit yourself, and maybe you're already a member here. Go back and look over the church covenant and the promises that you've made to God and this church body and give yourselves to those promises. Give yourselves to those promises. And number four, value the members of the church body and express your gratitude for them. Point out evidences of grace to others. Verbally thank others. Thank God for them and thank them, encourage them, value the members of this body. Charles Spurgeon once said, somewhat humorously, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That is his plain duty according to scripture. God's people are not dogs. Otherwise they might go around one by one. They are sheep and therefore they should be in flocks. Brothers and sisters, I am thankful for this flock that God has put us in. I'm thankful for what he's doing in our midst. And by God's grace, let's commit to each other to magnify the glory of God as we seek to care for what God has done here. To be the body of Christ that he has established. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done. Father, it would be to our, it would be in our error this morning if we were to come here today and, and, and just talk about what we've done. To, to talk about all that, that's transpired through the years to bring us to where we are today, Lord, and, and to somehow for us to take credit for that. Lord, we would be fools to do that. But it is evident that this is the work that you have done 
just like any other local church and just like the church universal, Lord, this is the work that you're doing. You are building your church. You are arranging the members of the body as you determine. And because of that, there is unity. Because of that, there is design and purpose, even in the variety, even in the diversity that, that marks any local church, there is unity because of the gospel. Lord, I thank you for what you've done here. I thank you that we are a living testimony to your ongoing work in the world to build your church. Father, we realize we're not perfect. We realize we have areas to grow in. We have blind spots. We've made mistakes. We've done things Maybe not the best way. But Lord, it's our desire to please you. It's our desire to continue to be unified around the gospel and in the gospel. It's our desire to continue to reflect the diversity that your kingdom is marked by. It's our desire, Lord, to, to be able to pursue every member, to make sure that every member in this church knows that they're valued, that they're cared for, that they matter, that they contribute an integral part to what you're doing. Father, would you continue to build the care and compassion and love that we so desperately need for each other? Father, thank you for loving us. And Lord, in light of that love, would you help us to love each other well to your glory and so that the nations would know that you are good. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.